Hello and welcome to Open Us, the podcast about openness to new experiences. I'm Professor T and with me as always is my co-host Dr. Toomey. How are you doing this evening Toomey? I am good uh, Professor T. It is the evening time on an unspecified day of an unspecified week. <laughs> yes it is. I'm glad you didn't go into specifics there. Yeah we, we're not Could supposed have. to timestamp these things. Now we'd be alienating our audience by revealing how far in advance this has been recorded. Yes, we'd never want to to reveal that to them. We want them to be to be none the wiser, as, as I say. But I, I suppose a drawback of that is that it, it it inhibits the reporting of how my day has been or what I've been doing. It was a um, kind of unremarkable day. Uh, there was clouds in the sky, but also a bit of sun, and there was a bit of bit of uh, rain, a bit damp as well how, how was your day how are you <laughs> i'm good uh nothing too specific or revealing there that's good uh yeah I, yeah i'm grand yeah i had a fairly quiet weekend uh and i'm ready to go for this episode of open us excellent so let's open ourselves up to this episode as they say that is what they say yes so let's let's remind the listener what our uh, task was for last week what we said ourselves and our task was simply animals <laughs> it was animal as uh, the, the country uh, expression went in the late 1990s 1990s uh, you know remember people used to say that was animal yeah yeah vaguely, yeah. vaguely. i'm glad they've stopped saying that yeah me know. too i was never a fan of that phrase but it, it just came back to me there but we decided um one thing we, we hadn't ever talked about before together was animals <laughs> <laughs> and uh i've never correct i've never really taken the time to uh specifically research animals and i don't think you had either no, I definitely haven't. Yeah. So in the spirit of, I suppose, talking about new things, uh, we researched uh, animals that we didn't know much about or animals we hadn't researched before. And we went, we both went off independently and researched animals and found out some interesting facts. And now we're going to have a conversation that we've never had before about animals. Yeah. So I kind of lost track about what we were doing. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was land, air, sea. Um, air, sea, insect, land, insect, sea. So I kind of just did my own thing. But what I do have is, uh, <laughs> right, uh, land, land, air, and insect. So oh. I didn't do I didn't do one from the sea. Oh, that's correct. Well, oh, I did uh, land, uh, sea, insect. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter anyway. It's, it's three different things I've done here. So three animals each, and uh, just so the listener knows, we have not revealed our animals or our creatures to each other. And we are, hey! we are about to reveal our animals to each other live in terms of this recording. Live to us. Shall I reveal my, cre- <laughs> Shall I reveal my creature first? <laughs> Should we go like creature for creature or? Creature for creature, I reckon, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so my creature. Um, so the first creature I have chosen is a praying mantis. Ooh. Praying mantis. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's so insect. Um, it's an insect, correct? Yeah. Uh, at first glance, it kind of looks a bit like a grasshopper. So that kind of green-looking, uh, spinely, like gangly-legged um, kind of. I don't know what spinely is, but anyway, uh, gangly-legged kind of insect. Um, so uh, mantis or mantises are an order of the Mantodia um, of insects that contain over 2,400 species, and there's about 430 different um, types within that 2,430 uh, main types. Um, 
comprising of 15 different families. Uh, that's kind of irrelevant and too kind of facty there. But <laughs> so they're found all across the globe. Um, so at first glance, you might think it's a flying insect. And in some cases it is. Some mantises do have wings, but a lot of them don't have wings as well. So um, some are flighted and some are land-based insects. Um, so this is just kind of the introduction to mantises. But the most fascinating part I found um is to do with their sexual practices and i'll get to that uh, shortly um <laughs> that's the finale but, uh, yeah but uh, so if you if you were to look at a mantis the they're known just as mantises or praying mantises but uh, the praying actually came and it's p-r-a-y as opposed to p-r-e-y which you might think because it's an insect but the praying uh, addition to their name came from how they stand or their stance so a mantis stands upright uh, with its arms folded and um, so it looks like it has its two arms in a kind of a praying gesture and that's their uh, gen- general stance so that's how uh, a mantis stands so it's very unusual for an insect to have that type of stance um, which is where the kind of the nickname the praying mantis came from um, so now into the juicy stuff so female mantises are known to practice sexual cannibalism uh, sometimes sexual cannibalism <laughs> sexual cannibalism so sexual cannibalism is practiced in the insect in the insect world where um, the female of the species eats the male sometimes during or directly after sexual uh, intercourse or copulation has taken place um, so with the case with mantises this happens roughly one quarter of the time so if you're a male mantis and you're going to go out in the pool or have sex you know that 25 percent of the time you're going to be eaten and killed <laughs> so you better choose the right dance partner well th- like those are the odds you're faced with if, you, if you're looking for your hole essentially uh, as a male mantis so you know 75 percent of the time you're going to get away and 25 percent of the time you're going to be eaten and killed uh, <laughs> By a female mantis. Favourable odds, but I suppose if if you are somebody who likes to get around and meet a lot of partners, you're you're eventually going to run into trouble. Yes, exactly. Like if if you're a gambling mantis, perhaps you go out and you know you live life to the fullest, and you just kind of you know seventy five percent. If you're a gambler, is quite good odds, but you know eventually that's going to catch up with you. Um, I like that and, phrase. And a ga- did you say a gambling mantis? <laughs> a gambling mantis. It sounds yeah. like a, a real thing, like a phrase. Gambling mantis. I like that. No, no, that's that's an original. Um, so anyway, yeah. So so the female um, may begin feeding on the male by biting off their head during intercourse. And um, <laughs> the if this happens, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's usually during. Oh. But if this happens, what what happens as a result of that is the male's movements become even more vigorous in its delivery of sperm. So the act of biting off the head actually increases the trusting of the male uh, and invigorates the male even though it's just had its head bitten so (laughs) (laughs) this is ridiculous for a long time uh, scientists speculated that this was a deliberate act by female mantises in order to um, increase their chances of uh, of fertilization but uh, further studies have proven over the years that this isn't in fact the case and that female mantises are more often just more hungry than their male <laughs> counterparts and they often eat just out of hunger so they, they'll eat their partner just out of sheer hunger uh, rather than anything else oh god <laughs> yep and, and, and male mantises now have begun actively avoiding female mantises who appear hungry apparently the male mantises can spot signs of hunger in females and it's kind of evolved to a point now where some males are able to spot the hunger in the females and they will avoid having sex with them, sex with them. or they will do so in such a way to not position themselves to have their heads bitten off. So um, over the years, male mantises have kind of cottoned on to the fact that they, they might get their head bitten <laughs> off during sex. 
<laughs> by how the the female is dressed or or I, I'm the, not the sure. Vibe. Like I, I, I was reading about this and I didn't take specific notes about this, but I just I just remembered it now. But um, yeah, so basically though, they they can spot signs of hunger in female mantises and they are able to avoid in some cases the female mantis if they think they're going to be eaten. So. Um, but yeah, that's really that's that's all I have on mantises there. Well, but, um, <laughs> wow, and jeez, uh, I never knew that, and I don't think I'll ever forget that. <laughs> it's just <laughs> I can imagine myself in forty years at a pub. You're about to pay in mantis, and yeah, but I don't know who I would tell that story to. It wouldn't be my grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be odd if your grandchildren were in the pub with you. Although maybe if they're, you know in their 20s or something by that time maybe we're having pub grub if that still exists in 50 years oh, time probably yeah probably VR pub grub <laughs> yeah uh, yeah a gastro sitting beside the invisible man yes exactly throwback two callbacks there yeah very nice um, so that was that was really interesting I enjoyed that and now I'm going to enter the fray with a creature of my own an insect of my own and also one that has a cool name in my opinion the dragonfly Ah, very good. Now I don't have much on the uh, the sexual uh, sexual uh, life of the dragonfly. Um, okay, I just have a few uh, kind of more school based uh, facts about the dragonfly. <laughs> uh, I saw a, a little picture of the dragonfly on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago, and I just I just saw a really close up image of it, and it just looked amazing. It has th- these huge eyes. Well, this one huge eye that extends all around its head. So it has like 360 degree vision and it has these mad patterns on its bodies and on its body, <laughs> on its bodies <laughs> and, and wings. It has uh, two uh, pairs of wings as well. So it, it flies like a helicopter so it can hover. It can fly up, down, backwards, forwards. Uh, it's a really, really cool uh, insect. Um and uh, the dragonfly has been around for 300 million years <clears throat> so well before the dinosaurs um and they were massive back in those days um there's uh, there's 5000 species of the dragonfly um which shows that uh like really those two facts are, are shown that they are well adapted to the environment and they survive well um and what i some weird things i i didn't expect to to find out about the dragonfly is actually they start their life in rivers and lakes and yeah they live 80 percent of their lives lives down there um so they're floating around like they're these little aquatic creatures little in- insecty things going around eating little like larvae and uh, tadpoles and stuff and they spend about two or three years and they're, they're quite a formidable uh, predator down there um amongst insects and stuff um and then it's a bit like evolution itself, how, how human beings evolved. What happens is they, their body, they crawl out of the river or the lake. They literally crawl out in this sort of hardened skeleton type of thing. And they crawl up towards a plant and then they rest. And what happens is they, they rest there for like a couple of hours and they actually disregard their what's called their exoskeleton. So they basically... It looks really weird. It's like the body comes out of its former body. And that's when the wings come out and it, this kind of big dragonfly comes out. So it's it's like sort of like going back to like the, that movie uh, Alien or something like where like you have one body and another body is like coming out through the stomach of it. It just looks really like freaky. You can see videos of it online. Um, and then they go out and do their uh, dragonfly things. They've armor like bodies. They're really like 
like they've really colorful bodies but like their whole body is like base is like insect armor so they're really hard for other insects to attack them and uh, kill them um another thing about them is they uh they eat while they're flying so they don't like catch their prey or like stop and bring it somewhere and eat it they actually eat while they're flying so they catch it with their tail and they're still flying really fast and then they they eat it with their mouth while they're still flying um and they eat loads of mosquitoes as well um so i did that's that's about it on the dragonfly <laughs> very good so it, it starts life as a sea creature and then crawls out of the sea and spreads wings and then turns into a fly yeah well well not not so much a sea creature it's more like rivers and lakes but i think so sorry yeah as 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 a, as a water creature as a creature that lives in water yeah aquatic uh, creature i thought that was crazy yeah I, I i see a lot of them around the canal in ashdown actually um and it's only in recent years i've started to notice them but they're massive long thin bodies and they'd be flying above the canal uh, and you'd see them when it's kind of sunset i've seen quite a lot of them and are, the, are those ones big and are they colourful or, or what do they look like? Yeah, yeah, they'd be colourful and have really long bodies. Like, I, I, I didn't think they existed in Ireland, but apparently they do. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. They're, they're actually all yeah. over the world because like, they, yeah. they're so adaptable to the environment and they can live in different settings really easy. Yeah, yeah. years ago I, I didn't think they existed, but yeah, I've definitely seen them in the last number of years, especially living beside water. Um, you'd see them out and about uh, flying around the canal. Very good. So there's a dragonfly. Very interesting. Good stuff. The, the most fascinating part is the crawling out of the water thing and growing wings. That's like evolution captured within one being that's around currently. Yeah, it's, um, it's mad. It's like evolution in a, in the space of a few hours there. Yeah, that process. That's, that's mad. I didn't know that at all. So that's yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So there you go. We're learning. Very good. Dragonflies. Right. Um, okay. Um, the next uh, creature I chose was the lemming. <laughs> lemming <laughs> the lemming wow yeah why did you choose the, the lemming well i was going to choose a vole um because uh, it's a rodent type thing that has an interesting name i'm completely judging butch books by covers with all of these but um i've always found uh, the name vole interesting it's like a small little rodent type creature but as i was looking up voles I, I encountered lemmings and i think everybody has some familiarity with lemmings due to the video game that was popular a few years ago or about a few years ago about yes. 30 years ago nearly but um i think ago. that's probably yeah i think that's probably most people's uh, familiarity would stop there about those little green-haired things that you had to stop walking off cliffs in uh, a video game on maybe the Super Nintendo or whatever you played it on back when you were younger. Yeah, um, a mildly stressful but, game as well. Yeah, but but they're actual real creatures and they do exist. And there's a lot of myths that surround lemmings, uh, especially the whole thing about them walking off cliffs and killing themselves. So, um, so I found it quite interesting reading about that. So that's the main part I'm going to focus on. But just to give a bit of an introduction. So a lemming is a rodent. It's part of the Arvicolinae family, which also includes voles. There you go. And muskrats. I've never heard of a muskrat. And to be honest, I didn't look into them. Um, but they're the closest relatives to the lemming. Um, they're found in the Arctic. So they burrow under the snow. That's how they live. That's how they survive. Uh, they create a series of complex tunnels underneath the snow. Um, they're one of the creatures who does live in that type of cold climate, who doesn't hibernate over winter. So uh, a lemming is constantly active, constantly looking for food, constantly looking for shelter, and constantly burrowing under the snow and building interconnected tunnels to live underneath the snow. Um, 
More distant relatives of the, of the lemming are rats, mice, hamsters, and gerbils. So they're of that type of family. If you look at a lemming, it looks like a hamster or a gerbil, more so than a rat or a mouse. But um, yeah, they're, they're in that family. Um, so the mi- main misconception about lemmings, that they're driven to commit mass suicide. Um, so I initially thought this would have been popularized by the lemmings video game. So I did some digging into that. And uh, that game was actually first released in 1991 on the Amiga, but was ported to a load of different consoles. I, I think I first remember playing it on the Super Nintendo. but and, and you sound like you've played it as well. I have, yeah. I think I played it maybe on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. And you would have these lemmings who were all walking in single file, one behind the other. And they were basically all trying to walk off a cliff. And you had to stop them from doing that. And you could give them special skills. Some of them could build walls and some of them could do other things. And some of them could... You gave about 10 of them a different little task to do to try and minimize the number of lemmings who would die. And I think you had a quota to reach it. I remember at the time when I was younger going, what are they? like?" And I remember my brother telling me, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're real. They exist. And they basically kill themselves like... Um, which seemed funny and interesting at the time, but it's factually incorrect. Um, <laughs> so, are you thinking maybe a whole game was based on something that was like a myth about lemmings? Well, well, yes, ex- exactly that. So, um, I thought it was the game that propagated this, but it wasn't the game, if you dig a little deeper. So, um, there was a, a short story published back in 1951 <laughs> by... Um, <laughs> Left field there. <laughs> he went down a rabbit hole here on the the lemmings. Yeah, so so there's uh, an author by the name of Cyril Con- Cornbluth, uh, Cyril M. Cornbluth, who published a short story in 1951 called "The Marching Morons," and this referred to the uh, tendency for lemmings to kill themselves in uh, mass suicidal groups by walking off cliffs. Um, then. Uh, later on, a Disney studio illustrator called Carl Banks, he drew an Uncle Scrooge adventure comic uh, with the title The Lemming with the Locket. And this comic uh, was inspired by another article in an American magazine, Mercury. And all of these publications at the time started publishing articles or drawings or comic strips about lemmings. And it became popular in the 1950s to depict lemmings as kind of idiotic rodent type animals that committed mass suicide by walking off cliffs then probably the worst uh, offender for the propagation of the lemming myth that they killed themselves was uh, walt disney who released a documentary called white wilderness in 1958 um so the producers of this documentary actually threw lemmings off a cliff and filmed it to fake a mass lemming suicide Jeez. to include in the documentary real life um, lemmings Real life lemmings, they threw them off a cliff. This was discovered later after the film had been released. So they, the producers threw the lemmings off a cliff just to, co- just to go along with this myth. Oh, lemmings, isn't it so funny? They all kill themselves. Well, they do when you're throwing them off a cliff. Yes, Walt Disney. But um, <laughs> Isn't that funny, but, Walt? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, and the narrator says that the lemmings probably aren't committing suicide, um, but they do tend to have a tendency to walk over cliffs. And the, the, one of the facts that gets lost a lot of the time with lemmings is that they can actually swim. So uh, walking off a cliff into water isn't going to kill a lemming. Now, in some in some situations, it does. Um, sometimes the task of swimming to the next available piece of land um is too daunting or is too much for the lemming and the lemming actually will die in the sea but they, they are able to swim they can survive by falling off a cliff into water so it's not actually mass suicide the reason the lemmings tend to march in big groups is because their species undergoes periodic population booms so uh, the population of lemmings will vastly increase in a short period of time um, and that's just cyclical with lemmings so uh, 
they go through massive population booms in cycles and because of that there isn't often enough food or water or living space for all of the lemmings who've just like in it as part of the population boom to survive so they branch off and they walk out in different directions um so they migrate in large groups when this overpopulation occurs and they they walk off to find new land new shelter uh, new food and part of that involves you know walk going into water and, and walking off cliffs into water but they're not trying to kill themselves <laughs> <laughs> they're actually looking for food and shelter and they're actually trying to survive rather than trying to die so they're doing the exact opposite um yeah they're exploring so, yeah. being clever Exactly. Uh, and just a small bit of lemming sexual practices as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, lemmings reach sexual maturity at the age of five weeks. Um, pregnancy in females lasts three weeks and ends with seven babies on average. Uh, and most babies are born during the summer. Um, so, yeah, but there's nothing really seedy about that. Uh, that's, just, that's as much as I could get there. Um, Damn. And the population boom and bust is interesting. And I, I, it, it shows that... Uh they almost reproduce too well, if I'm gathering correctly. That's it. And, and actually, sorry, on the flip side of that, I didn't go into it, but they become borderline extinct as well uh, during the downturn in those cycles. So in, in the upswing up of those cycles, there's massive overpopulation, but then they go towards borderline extinction uh, until the next boom period occurs. And that's just the way they reproduce. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, so i'm gonna go on uh, to my next uh, creature uh, this is a land-based creature you could call it an animal um <clears throat> this is an animal that's actually pretty famous and the reason i picked it is because it's a famous animal that i actually know nothing about and it's the cheetah okay i thought you were gonna say human there and throw a, like a wild card into it <laughs> the thought that actually crossed crossed my mind at one point over the weekend, <laughs> but Sick I not to. <laughs> but uh, the cheetah, it's like a very popular one. Everybody knows they're they're fast. They're the fastest animal uh, in the world uh, on land. Um, but I realise I don't know anything about the cheetah apart from that. Uh, would you be the same? Just out of interest. Absolutely, you know? no, nothing about them except the fact that they're fast. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, um, so just to, I just have a few facts uh, on the cheetah um, that I found interesting. Um, they can reach uh, 110 kilometers in three seconds. Um, so that's like the fastest wow. car on the M50 in three seconds. And their top speed is about 120 kilometers an hour. And I just I think it's really interesting that, that they can accelerate like that. Um, so because they're like they accelerate so fast, um, it uses up a lot of energy Um so it takes an, a massive amount of energy for them to, to sprint that fast. So that means they can only actually sprint for a minute at a time and they're absolutely wrecked after it. So it's kind of like they use up all of their energy for the day. So when they're when they're going to hunt, they have to get position themselves uh, near like a, a zebra or a, what, a gazelle or something like that. They have to get within striking distance. So they go up around like 200 meters or 300 meters besides that animal and they kind of i don't know if they know in their head but somehow they must know that this is my only chance to eat really for the day if i don't catch this animal i'm going to run out of all of my energy here and that's actually what happens to a lot of cheetahs if they don't catch um animals during that that kind of that huge energy intensive hunting process then they actually starve to death that's how a lot Jesus. of them die yeah. yeah so there's there's so much at stake with this hunt so they get themselves within that 200 meters uh radius and then they they don't really sneak up they just literally then sprint so 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 they get themselves close and then they sprint after the the gazelle um 
they don't roar they don't have like big massive claws or anything they they really rely on their speed and targeting like smaller animals um and so they catch the animal and another big problem for them is that sometimes like packs of lions and hyenas watch them hunting and then they come along and they steal their prey um so the cheetah spends all that energy yeah two-faced fake snakes the the cheetah spends all its energy and like does that spectacular hunt and then a a pack of wankers (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why i said that i know a pack of uh, lions come along and just kill just take the uh the prey and the cheetah doesn't fight with bigger animals it's it's a very kind of standoffish animal uh i suppose it's a bit of a bully in a way um but once it comes face to face with an animal of its size it just runs away so it loses its prey just from using up the or or it starves nearly from uh using up energy and not getting prey and then also from other animals stealing its prey as well um and the other thing about the cheetah is the population has rapidly declined like in the in the 1900s, there were over 100,000 cheetahs, um, and now there are only 10,000 uh, cheetahs. So it, it's one of the main animals, but it's nearly kind of on the verge of being extinct, uh, which would be really sad. Is that due to hunting by humans or other things? Uh, well, it's to do with uh, that the packs of other animals taking their 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 uh, um, their their kill. Um, it's to do with the kind of a lot of it is to do with the change in habitat that human beings have kind of like put walls and fences and concrete everywhere and moved onto their land so it's kind of like when if if they don't get their kill for the day they find it really hard to navigate to another kind of prey to to kill so it's human beings have fucked them up in that way and yes human beings are hunting them as well uh so yeah there there's like lots of reasons why they're kind of on the way out. Unfortunately, I, I would that would be a like I don't know why I'm very sad about that, but just because it's one of like the main animals, um, yeah, that could be on the verge of extinction. Um, but that's that's about it for the cheetah. I did. <laughs> I'm sorry you don't have uh, more in it, but no, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so they could they can run, but they can do it basically once a day, and that's it. Yeah, it's just like it's a high stakes game uh, for the cheetah. Yeah, they they basically have to put all their eggs in one basket and just bank on that one thing they're trying to kill. Yeah, exactly. Very good. That's interesting. Good stuff. Cheers. Cheetahs. Okay. Cheetahs. Um, my final uh, creature is the vampire bat. Whoa. Yes. An interesting Vamp- one. Vampire bat. Yes. Uh, so this is a cave dwelling creature of flight, um, and that is found in the Americas. So North and South America. There's the only places you'll find the vampire bat. Um, but yes, they're uh, a species of the subfamily Desmon <laughs> Desmontonae. Uh, <laughs> oh yes. A, oh yeah. The, the widely known bat species. Uh, but the, obviously, the most interesting thing about the vampire bat is they live on blood, solely on blood, and that's their diet. Um, so a vampire bat it's not a myth about vampire bats they do drink blood and that's all they do in fact and if they don't get blood they'll die Um, so they're very closely aligned to the mythical uh, vampires well yes I've I've got some stuff on that to come in a minute Um, but uh, yeah so there's three different kinds of vampire bat there's the 
the common vampire bat. I'm not going to read the Latin names of these because I can't pronounce them. There's the common vampire bat. There's the hairy-legged vampire bat. And there's the white-winged vampire bat. Um, I'm just going to go with the common vampire bat for this. Um, it's the most common, obviously, <laughs> that's in the name. Um, a dead common vampire bat. <laughs> yeah, common as muck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, so they actually feed on the blood of livestock. So they are prone to... Uh, they have a preference for domesticated animals so they mainly go for cattle and horses so they kind of circle around farms at night um, and they wait for the animals to be asleep and then they approach the sleeping animal and cut them open with their razor sharp teeth and then they allow the blood to flow out of the animal and they lick the blood with their tongue so this is how they get their food so <laughs> they uh, get their kicks <laughs> Um, so yeah, so they pierce the animals open, they allow the animal to bleed, and then they lick the blood with their tongue. And actually, um, they have an anticoagulant in their saliva, which stops the blood from clotting. So oh, that's uh, handy. I know, yeah, it's really handy. Yeah. Typically, obviously, blood clots after a while when you when you cut yourself, uh, your blood will clot. That's why you kind of run your your finger under a cold tap as well. It starts clotting. But um, yeah, so these can. Um, they can overcome the clotting obstacle by declotting the blood with their own saliva. So I thought that was quite interesting. So once they found an animal, nothing's going to stop them from getting their fix of blood, basically. Um, but yeah, just some some creepy sex stuff about the vampire bats. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, during estrus, which is mating, uh, or it's the, the mating season, a female releases one egg. Um, Mating usually lasts three to four minutes, so, you know, uh, not too long. But the male bat mounts the female from the posterior end, grasps her back with his teeth, holds her down, uh, and inseminates her. <laughs> so, right. It doesn't sound like too much fun for the female, um, but I suppose it's nature's way of evening out the praying mantis eating the male. So, you know, you win some, you lose some in the animal yes. kingdom. Yes. Um yeah, so that's what the male bats get up to. Um, Very forceful uh, sexual practices, but yeah, in the animal kingdom in general. Yeah, to animals there. Um, like ourselves, huh? <laughs> that's it. Human but, uh, but yeah, another uh, a misconception about vampire bats is that they all have rabies. Um, and in fact, most vampire bats do not have rabies. Um, so, for example, um, among bats that were submitted for rabies testing because they were able to be captured, so they were weak or sick or whatever, uh, only 6% had rabies. But then, on the flip side of that, uh, the few actual reported uh, cases of rabies in the United States every year, most of those are actually caused by bat bites. So, not all bats have rabies, but all rabbit humans were basically bitten by bats. Hmm. And not so dogs. A, a sizable amount of uh, humans with rabies have been bitten by bats. Yes, exactly. Bats that happen to have rabies. The 6% of bats that do have rabies. Um, okay. But yes, so the vampire bat is obviously uh, closely associated with uh, Dracula, um, the character from the Bram Stoker novel from the 1800s. Um, so this was actually featured in the novel. I haven't read Dracula now, but uh, Dracula turned into a bat multiple times in the novel. And this was depicted also in the famous uh, 1931 film Dracula starring Bela Lugosi, um, the Universal uh, Pictures, uh, the, the, the early famous um, Dracula film, which all future versions of Dracula kind of based themselves on. So Bela Lugosi uh, famously turns into a bat um, at the start of the uh, the film. Uh, so he's... Um, he's a... Uh, 
transporting um, people on a coach and horses and uh, he's kind of disguised himself so people don't realise who he is but then the guy in the coach uh, of the thing looks out to see where the driver is and the driver has disappeared and the coach and horses has been led by a bat um, so that's kind of a famous depiction of a vampire bat and a vampire kind of being um, interchangeable interesting and the coach and horses is of course the pub in The Invisible Man um, is this that the name? It's the name of the pub, yes. Was that the name of it? Very good. Yes. Uh, excellent. Um, so there you go. Yes, it all ties in together. There you go. Um, <clears throat> so i got to finish off uh, with the final creature of the episode, the final animal, uh, the final being. Um, and that is something called uh, the hippopotamus. Okay. Uh, these were popularized in the game Hungry Hungry Hippos. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, was the 1950s. <laughs> no. Uh, this was another uh, kind of common animal uh, that I don't have a clue about. And um, I just know, I just kind of thought of hippopotami as kind of big fat bastards who just kind of go on the land and into the, the sea sometimes. And I don't really know what they're doing. The hippopotamus, the name itself comes from river horse, which is ancient Greek hippo. Uh, for hippo um so that is actually a, a pertinent name because hippopotamuses or hippopotami um <laughs> saying that again are you <laughs> i am yes i'm correcting the, uh, myself and deliberately forcing that in um they actually don't swim they spend a lot of time in the sea but they don't really swim what they do is they're big fat bastards they f- they kind of go down to the bottom of the sea or the lake or the river and they f- they walk along the bottom of the river so that's how ah. they push themselves around yeah especially like me in a swimming pool in a hotel or yeah <laughs> exactly so uh th- unlike you however they can hold their breath for up to five minutes so hold on a second <laughs> <laughs> um they are herbivores so they eat like kind of vegetation um they they actually eat a lot outside of rivers and the lakes that they're in, they come out sometimes at night time and they will eat loads of grass. And boy, can they eat grass. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of the videos I was watching uh, narrated. Um, so um, they they avoid being outside of the river because they have really sensitive skin. Actually, a bit like you, they're sensitive to the sun. Yeah. Um, so that's why they stay in the rivers for so long because it gives them that natural protection. And if they're out of the... Um, the river for any prolonged amount of time their color actually changes red <clears throat> and the reason for that is because they're so sensitive to the sun their uh, bu- their immune system creates this shield of kind of uh dif- different texture of skin with a red color that actually acts as sunblock or suntan um so they have this kind of self uh self uh, created suntan lotion and it lasts for about an hour uh, so it just shows how important it is for the species to um, not be sunburned, uh, that, that it's evolved to have um, a natural uh, sunblock. Um, but I, I, an interesting uh, thing about the hippopotamus... <laughs> <laughs> you dug yourself a hole there. Yeah. <laughs> Say not the first time. Then. I'm going to go with hippos from now on. Interesting thing about the hippos is uh, they are based in uh, Africa. Uh, that's where their their normal habitat is. They're not anywhere else naturally in the world, apart from one location, Professor T. Would you like me to tell you what that location is? I think I might know where it is. 
You you probably do. Go on. Dublin Zoo. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they are actually yeah. They're in zoos worldwide as well. They're fantastic animals. <laughs> They've made their way into zoos. No, I don't know what joke I was doing with there. Anyway. <laughs> I was going to go for a joke that they've evolved to to be able to to, to see that they could survive in zoos and no. Um, anyway, Pablo Escobar, the f- the famous uh, Colombian drug dealer, uh, the 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 world's leading uh, cocaine dealer in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. Um, he had a huge amount of land in uh, Colombia um, and he decided because he was so rich from all the drugs sales that he would make himself a zoo so this was in the, the late 1980s early 1990s um, and he created a zoo with like giraffes and elephants and like lions and hippopotamuses Hippo- <coughs> confuse myself again hippos, uh, hippos. and uh, this was all great but then old pa- Pablo, uh, his his uh, reign of terror came to an end in 1993 when he was shot dead. So it was up to... Spoiler alert for... Um, can, uh, Narcos fans? <laughs> I've never watched it. <laughs> um, so uh, basically the state of Colombia was faced with the problem of, okay, we're going to seize all his land because obviously he was a, a drug dealer, a horrible person who doesn't... Deserve, his family doesn't really deserve to keep all that land um, so the, they were faced with the task of okay there's a zoo here that he's created how do we what are we going to do with the animals um, so they took their giraffes uh, their elephants their lions and all that and they they uh, distributed them around different zoos and everything was fine but the one the one animal that they couldn't move was the hippopotami <laughs> sorry the, the hippo um, jeez <laughs> uh, God, um, so there were four hippos, and they just, they said, "Geez, we can't actually move. They they're really hard to move. They're in the rivers. Uh, we can't get them out easily. So we're just going to actually leave them there." So they left the four hippos there, and they thought, "Oh, they'll be out of the way. They'll be in the zoo, uh, out of harm's way. Um, that's fine." But since 1993, these hippos have multiplied, and there are now over 50 hippos living in that area. No way. Uh, yeah, and they've spread out over different areas of land. So they're in different rivers around the area. They're going near villages with people. And it's a problem for Colombia because there's no like natural predators for um, hippos in that in Colombia. Like there's no crocodiles. Um, there's also no drought in the area. Like there's sort of droughts used to like kill off hippos a lot in Africa. But there's no there's no uh, droughts to kind of uh, even off the population. Or, or like mm. to keep it controlled. So they're just they they're going to keep multiplying. Um, and they, I was just watching a video of it earlier, and the hippos are having a great time over there. <laughs> so <laughs> they're, they're ruling the roost. They can do whatever they want. And so the the state of Colombia were like, okay, well, well, we will we just kill them all. So that was their first thought. Let's let's kill them. Um, so they got a, a task force out and they went and hunted and they killed one hippo and they took a photo of it with everybody. There was a big group of like 20 people who'd killed him and they were all like posing beside this hippo. But the Colombian people got outraged at that. So what happened over time is the the hippos became revered by the people of Colombia. So that option is no longer on the table to just kill off the hippos Um because they are a problem. Um, so the next thing they thought is, will, will we sterilize them? Will we castrate the hippos? Um, 
And they found that that was just really hard to do, really hard to um, to find all the hippos to do that. And even when they, they were like sterilizing them, uh, the, the reproduction rates of the hippos kept going up. Uh, so that was <laughs> ru- ruled out as well. <laughs> So now, uh, like, people are going over to Colombia, like, they're, they're in Pablo Escobar's land, but spread out over different areas of land. Um, they're multiplying. <laughs> <laughs> There's no obvious solution of how to kill them or how to get That's, rid of them. Sorry, are, are some of them still in the wild, though? Or are some uh, of them well, walking around in the wild? Well, they they were in uh, Pablo Escobar's just enclosure, but they've spread out into different rivers. Like there's been rivers that go into his right. land, and they've spread out. Uh, they're outside his land now, and they're they're wandering up into villages and stuff. And they're really <laughs> really dangerous animals. <laughs> <laughs> but the Colombians love them now, and people are coming specifically to that area, Pablo's land, to look at the hippos. And there was a there was a tour of the hippos, and like the. The uh, recorded uh, tour guide uh, audio was saying, these are the amazing hippos that were brought over from Africa and blah, blah, blah. So, like, they're really, like, popular amongst the Colombians. But uh, there's 50 now, and they're <laughs> unless they do something, they're they're going to keep multiplying. Um, so I suppose watch this space, uh, Colombia and the hippos. It could be overrun with hippos. So that's, like, what, there was three originally, was it? Four, 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 and that, that's that's multiplied to fifty in twenty six years, so they've multiplied by f- twelve, twelve and a half, um. So in a, so if they multiplied by twelve in another twenty six years, there'd be one hundred and forty four of them. Yeah, in in twenty years, but but I think it would be actually ex- exponential growth because if there's more hippos, there's going to be more. The rate of um, yeah, yeah, mating yeah, yeah. will be higher and stuff. Yeah, fucking so. hell. So there you go. A hippo epidemic in Colombia. Who would have Hip- thought? Yeah. Hippodemic. Hung- yeah. Sorry. Hippode- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you three times. Sorry. <laughs> to finish off that terrible joke. A hip. A hip, a hip, a hip, hip hop. <clears throat> God. Uh, so there you go with the hippos. Um, and that concludes our tour of the animals. Wow. Uh, I enjoyed that. I, I, I did was as pleasantly well, surprised with how, by how much I enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, there you go. You never know how, how well an episode is going to go until you just do it. Yes, because you might reveal now to the listener that you had some uh, reservations just before we went on air. I did have reservations. So I found this quite similar to how you found our first uh, task, which was reading The Invisible Man, where you found it difficult to do it and you had to force yourself almost to do it. Um, so I found the actual task of researching the animals arduous or daunting, but... The result of it was actually quite interesting on, on both sides, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I actually had a similar experience with uh, like making yourself go and read about these animals. Like You have to push yourself a bit. Um, but then when I did, I really enjoyed it. Um, so I suppose I've taken from this that if you push yourself to learn about something that's interesting, then it, it's actually worthwhile. And I think a lot of the things we've talked about a lot of things about the sexual stuff I don't I don't think I'll ever forget yeah that's true I won't forget that there's hippos in Colombia I'll never forget that I'll be telling people <laughs> yeah them it's unsolicited hippo facts yes <laughs> so now our challenge is to just shoehorn these facts into uh, conversations at the pub or whatever yeah can't wait All right. All right. All right. so Brilliant. what's next on the table Dr. Toomey 
So, moving to next week, uh, that was a kind of a reading uh, task where we learned about animals. So, we're actually going to go and open ourselves up to something new. And uh, my memory's just escaping me now. Will you remind the the uh, the listener what uh, task we chose for this week, please, Professor T? Well, I won't be reminding the listener, Connell, because we haven't informed the listener yet. Oh, so, uh, silly me! Oh, dearie uh, me! Uh, but I'll remind you, perhaps, because it seems to uh, have escaped you. Um, yes. Okay, so next week, what we've decided to do is, in the spirit of the 1st of January and being, you know, new year, new you, and new diets and all that type of stuff, all that sickening type of nonsense you see on social media, we've decided to ourselves uh, be sickening and be vegans for a week. Correct. We are going to take that holier-than-thou step and we're going to be vegans for a week. And we're going to challenge ourselves. Uh, it's something we've never done. Uh, definitely not for a week. Maybe here and there we've uh, had vegan meals. Um, but uh, a lot of people do it um, in January. Um, so, sorry, sorry, Liz. <laughs> some, some vegans in the background there are making noise. <laughs> Actually, we'll, we'll keep going. <laughs> anyway, vegans, veganism... What we want to do is for you to join us with uh, Veganuary. I'm still not comfortable using that word. Is it a word? No, it's not. Jesus Christ, it's, it's disgusting. Although we're, com- we're complicit in it now, so, uh, you know. Guilt- we're promoting Guilty it. Guilty by association. Yeah, I'm going to be using hashtag Veganuary, and it's going to send a shiver down my spine each time I do it. But nonetheless, that is the way we're going to promote this episode. That is, this is exactly, and... Let us uh, progress on to vegan for a week. It's going to be a really challenging task, something that we weren't open to at all before. And we hope you can join us. And because it takes a bit of organization in getting uh, yourself into a vegan mindset, never mind a vegan week, uh, we're going to give you two weeks uh, to, to go vegan for a week. So a few days, I suppose, to get yourself organized and then you can do the week at your leisure, if you want to. Yeah, so um, this episode should be going out on the 1st of January, and we'll check back in with the listener on the 15th of January. And if you happen to listen to this on the 2nd, 3rd, 4th of January, it still gives you a week's time. So just in case you weren't aware, veganism is a diet that consists of eating no animal products whatsoever. So that's no meat, no dairy, no fish, no eggs, um, no meat derivatives, uh, anything like that. So just... Just be careful if you want to participate that is just be careful about what you're eating and make sure it doesn't contain any of those things and yes it's going to be difficult and you're going to have all sorts of mad meals probably if you do participate in it but uh, so are we so we'll fill you in on how we get on as we said earlier on the 15th of january so we hope you can join us in this task um this is a very timely task and i think it's in a lot of people's minds that they should change their diet in January. So we think it's the perfect time to do it. So we hope you'll join in with us and check back in with us on the 15th. So there'll be no episode in the intervening uh, two weeks, but on the 15th, we will do our follow-up to our vegan week. That is correct. Thank you very much, listener. Um, And Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. And any final words to take us out of 2019 and into 2020? Stay open. If you'd like to contact us on social media ahead of next week's task, search for us on Twitter. It's at Open Us Podcast. On Facebook, it's also Open Us Podcast. On Instagram, it's Open Us Podcast. And via email, it's openuspodcast at gmail.com. 